Yes, I've been mentioning, of course, we have in the studio and joining me right now is Dr. Stephen Parapat, who is with the West Australian Organic and Isotope Centre here at Curtin University. Very impressive. Thank you for coming down, Stephen. Much appreciate this. I don't know whether it's because I've been watching the series, like I mentioned earlier, actually, to everybody on iView about Earth. It's, we're learning so much and that's why I love speaking to people like yourself mm-hmm. that led into paleontology because the, what, what the find that you've just had with this dinosaur skull is phenomenal in Queensland. Yeah, it is. It's, um, it's part of a sort of a bigger pattern, I guess, of us getting to understand Australia's ancient past a lot better uh, in the last 20 years or so. 95 yeah. million years ago. That's right. It was walking mm-hmm. in Queensland. Exactly, yeah. So it was, a, it was a very different Queensland to what it is now. So immediately before this dinosaur was around, there was an inland sea in the area. Really? But then that receded and it became a floodplain dominated by forests, very lush and green. So the northern part of Queensland? Uh, this is central Queensland. Central, yeah, oh, okay. Winter, yep. That's it. How, did, how do you know that there was an inland sea there? Basically because of the rocks. Uh, so all the rocks that are underneath Winton, like deep in the ground and all sort of forming a halo around Winton, if you look at the map of it, they are all deposited in inland sea. They contain marine reptile fossils. They contain things like ammonites, which definitely lived in the sea. These are the relatives of modern-day squid and octopus with coiled shells. Uh, and we find them in what's semi-arid today. So wow. it's, it's kind of bizarre to, to see the juxtaposition. Do you visit that particular area? I do. I've been up there many times in the last 12, 13 years um, to dig fossils and also to study fossils in museums up there. Um, unfortunately, I haven't gotten up there in the last 18 months or so, but that's, yeah, I'll get there up soon. So yeah. who discovered this particular skull? So the site was discovered by uh, the landowners on a property called Eldersley Station. Uh, so that's Ian and Sandra Muir. And Eldersley is about 70 kilometres west of Winton. That site was discovered by discovered by Sandra. She was out mustering stock and happened to see a bit of fossil bone that had worked its way to the surface through the rotating soil profile. She pegged the site and basically told the museum in Winton, the Australian Age of Dinosaurs, about the site and they selected it for one of their annual digs, had volunteers working the site and they collected this fossil animal. How exciting would that have been? It was great. I was there. Oh, you um, were yeah, there. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, wow. I, I mean, for me, finding a fossil like that was an absolute childhood dream come true. So tell us about that particular dinosaur. Well, it's it's a dinosaur called Diamantinosaurus Matilde. So it's named for Waltzing Matilda, which was penned by Banjo <laughs> Patterson in the area, and also the Diamantina River, which runs through Eldersley Station. And uh, this was a sauropod dinosaur, a long-necked, four-footed dinosaur. So think Apatosaurus, Diplodocus, Brontosaurus, Brachiosaurus. I don't think about any of those, because I don't know okay. what they look like. How, how big... Would this one have been? We're talking... I mean, Diamantinosaurus is probably 16 to 18 metres long, so almost as long as a tennis court. My and that's gosh. only medium size for these guys. They get really? much bigger. Yeah. Um, and it would have had mostly, you know, a small head, a fairly long neck and tail, barrel-like body, and then four columnar legs um, with only thumb claws and, and three claws on the back feet. And, yeah. This... Dinosaurs would have been, if they were still around today, would be the biggest creatures wouldn't they absolutely on uh, on land on yeah. land whales yes. are still bigger yeah, yeah. in terms whales, of mass, yeah, yeah whales and things um, but yes yeah, only on land okay there's such a history is there not you know, with the dinosaurs and how they evolved and how they ended up on our continent and mm-hmm. they came down i was told and the antarctic was a forest and it was yeah so I mean, when when dinosaurs originated all the continents were actually connected as a single landmass called pangaea and so that meant that anything that was living on land had the potential to 
spread everywhere by land rather than having to cross water bodies. And so because dinosaurs appeared sort of at the right time, about 225 million years ago, they were able to proliferate all over the globe. And um, once the continents started to fragment and Australia started to become isolated, our dinosaurs started doing slightly different things to what they did on other continents just because they had a shared history, but then they went all the separate ways. What I think is interesting about dinosaurs, um, why did we have these incredible creatures I mean, why? Where, how did they evolve? I wonder to be what they were. They were they carnivorous? Um, they varied. So the earliest dinosaurs were carnivorous, um, but then some of them developed the capacity to chew, uh, and others developed the capacity to process plants without chewing. They'd actually swallow the food whole and basically let their gut bacteria do the fermenting for them. So they were giant fermenting vats, um, and so. There were yeah, two major groups of, of plant-eating dinosaurs and one major group of meat-eating dinosaurs, but those meat-eating dinosaurs, the, the ones that still persist with us today as birds, they actually, even though they started out carnivorous, they some of them became herbivorous, and certainly many birds today eat seeds, eat plants. Uh, yeah, that they were were there d- how many different species were there? That we know of, at least 1,200 um, in the fossil record, and that's spanning a history of something like 160 million years. But, of course, there are 10,000 species of birds alive today, so there were probably many more species of dinosaurs we just have no fossils or knowledge of yet. And you refer to them as bird life now. Yeah, so birds evolved from a group of dinosaurs. Which, Um, what time? They're from the theropod dinosaurs, so that's the meat-eating dinosaurs, things like Tyrannosaurus and Velociraptor. They're not direct bird uh, ancestors, but bird ancestry comes from within the theropod group. What? type of species is that bird today? Um, I guess because all birds have evolved from pretty much a common ancestor they're all equally distant from that ancestor because they've all changed. So even though maybe ostriches, cassowaries, emus look more like what we would conceive of a dinosaur to be they're actually exactly as evolved as chickens, as pheasants, as okay. all the songbirds you see. It's a miracle, isn't it? It's amazing. It is, yes. Yeah, it's it's how the species have evolved, all the different... Gosh, how many do we have on the planet these days? Exactly, yeah. Where did they originally come from, dinosaurs? The oldest dinosaurs we know of are from South America, and they're about 225 million years old. But, of course them being in those rocks means that their ancestry still goes back in time. So, I mean, you can go ultimately as far back as you want, but if we wanted to go through their sort of their ancestry or their common ancestry with another group of organisms today, we'd say they're part of a group of reptiles called archosaurs. They're the so-called ruling reptiles, and that group includes one other group of living animals that's with us today, and that's crocodiles. So if you go far back enough in time, about 240 to 250 million years ago, crocodiles and dinosaurs common ancestor is back then and that's just after a massive extinction event that occurred um did the carnivorous dinosaurs attack and eat other dinosaurs absolutely yeah we've got evidence that they did exactly that in the form of gut contents in some cases so you can literally find a skeleton of another dinosaur inside a carnivorous dinosaur you can find bite marks on bones where they've raked the flesh with their teeth um and there is even uh, a fossil of a velociraptor that died while it was fighting a protoceratops, so a plant-eating frilled dinosaur. Um, it was buried in a sandstorm, seemingly. And so you can actually see it's got its sickle claw on its foot embedded in the belly of the protoceratops. Its hand is on the frill of this protoceratops. They were locked in combat when they were, when they were fossilised. When you see these things and, and you use your imagination as to when it happened and how it happened and mm-hmm. what, what it would have been like at the time, would it, it's just phenomenal for you isn't it to experience that absolutely yeah i mean any time you find a fossil you're looking back into the deep past back well before any human had appeared on the planet uh, and and you're just looking at it and thinking 
this organism was adapted for its environment as it was when it was alive and it was doing things just like organisms do today probably some things very differently other things very similarly um you know finding a friend finding food making more organisms they were just going about their business uh, just the way animals do today and to get any record of that in deep time is amazing so you were saying that the i, I picked up then that the dinosaurs were created i suppose evolved because of their surroundings the size and what they required was available to them yeah, I guess Is I that mean, what normally happens? Well, any, any ecosystem, you need uh, like energy transfer. So you need things that are being able to make their own sugars, so plants um, you know, using sunlight and, and, um, and minerals and gases from the atmosphere around them to basically synthesise what they need to do all their cellular processing. But then organisms like us, we need to eat other yeah. organisms to get that energy. And so plants had already appeared well before the dinosaurs did, some dinosaurs developed the ability to eat them because they were abundant uh, and because they could, essentially. If you have gut bacteria that can break down plants, yeah. you're home and hosed. This is what's incredible about nature. So a dinosaur, did it start as a cell or something and evolve yeah, to what it was, to, just, to the surroundings? I mean, each one of us started as a cell within our mother. <laughs> and so it's sort yeah. of recapitulating, not, not quite perfectly, but, but it's recapitulating. From the very start. Yeah, you, you know. go back far enough in time, Every single living organism on the planet shares a common ancestor yeah. with some microbial organism that lived billions of years ago. So we were joined up to the other countries, obviously, in Asia and so on. Mm -hmm. what, was, what was the planet like then? What was Australia like then? So when, when Diamantinosaurus itself was alive, so that's only you know, 95 million years ago or thereabouts, it only. didn't live the whole time, uh, the whole of the dinosaur age, um, Australia would have been connected to, South, uh, to Antarctica and via Antarctica to South America because Whoa, all the continents huge. had been connected as one. That supercontinent started to fragment and left a few down south called Gond in a supercontinent called Gondwana. Um, but Australia was one of the last to leave from Gondwana. And so it basically meant that dinosaurs could walk across Antarctica between South America and Australia, and there seems to have been interchange between both continents across Antarctica at that time. And even though we were further south than today, the planet as a whole was much warmer. And so that meant that there was no ice at the poles 95 million years ago. Um, and that also then meant that, you know, we think of the tropics as being basically this sort of thin band uh, across the middle of the planet. It would have been broader when okay. the dinosaurs were around and yeah. that would have shifted the temperate zones into higher latitudes and probably eliminated what we would think of as boreal and austral polar zones now. So, yeah, a very yeah. different world. Um, and... Because there was no ice, sea levels would have been relatively higher, but there's always a balance between, you know, when the continents are close, are all connected to each other, they're sort of sitting higher, and so, so sitting lower. When they um, separate, they sort of sit higher on, yeah. the, um, on the mantle below, and so sea level rises and falls. Well, they were experiencing climate change right back then. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, so immediately after Diamantinosaurus was around, uh, I say immediately, around five million years after, um, there's a massive oxygen crisis in the oceans and that deeply affected marine life and it had a knock-on effect on, on life on land as well. Um, and, yeah, climate change has been a, an important part of the evolution of life ever since the get-go. We haven't always had oxygen in the atmosphere. We haven't always had as much carbon dioxide as we do now. Sometimes mm -hmm. we have much more. I guess... If I think about the way the world is today, the real problem is just how fast things are changing. We as a species are causing such oh, yeah. a huge mm. scope of change um, and we're doing it very, very rapidly. And if you think about, I mean, I was talking to my students about this in a lecture just before, an elephant is pregnant for two years 
before it has its calf. Mm-hmm. I can't remember how old they have to be before they're, you know, re- they're fecund, they're able to actually have babies. Um, but it's not, you know, it's more than, it's something like a decade. And so you think any given elephant generation has to be, you know, say 10 to 12 years. If you've got climate change happening on the scale of 50 or 100 years, they just don't have the time to sort of keep pace with it. And if we keep going the way we're going, we'll just select for certain species and against others and there'll be more extinctions to come. So. Oh, my gosh, that is really, <laughs> that's really grounding, isn't it, to mm-hmm. think like that? I mean, a lot of... Getting off the track here a little bit from the dinosaurs, but the whole thing is, you know, it's been talked about an awful lot and a lot of people are trying very hard, are they, not to slow things down. What would you, I mean, in the role that you're in, looking at the world changing over all these years, what do you, where should we be going, do you think? Oh, I mean... There are are, are many ways to tackle it. I think um, certainly minimising the use of hydrocarbons and minimising plastic use and that sort of thing would be one way. But I think it's also just this is going to be a much harder sell. But people need to think about the way that they're living and their impact on the environment in terms of what they're eating, what they're consuming, where, how much they're travelling and that sort of thing. Because, you know, we've only got a sort of finite budget of how much carbon dioxide we can pump into the atmosphere we don't want to get to that um and we don't and if we do have to get to that level we want to get there as slowly as possible but if we keep living large and having bigger cars and bigger homes and bigger meals and eating lots of meat and all that sort of thing it just means that yeah it's going to be really tricky to actually establish Mm. that but i think the other thing that you know bringing back to paleontology i think it's important that people are aware that carbon dioxide levels in the past have been much higher than they are now. Yeah. So it's not necessarily that that's not necessarily the problem or a problem. It is just the rate at which we're doing things. In many ways, we just need to slow everything down. Yeah, I wish and we I, could. Exactly. Yeah. It's so hard to do so. We're very self-destructive, quite frankly. <laughs> inadvertently often. No, we are. We are. Yeah. It's ridiculous what happens, you know, to each other around the world. And I quoted this last week when I was talking about space travel, going to Mars and that sort of thing. William Shatner, who you're too young to probably oh, remember I Star know, Trek. I, know oh, okay. I, don't, I don't know the show personally but yeah (laughs) it was called the universe was the last frontier you know as people thought back then and he went on a trip to the edge of the of outer space and he said he's never been so depressed looking back down at the earth at earth Mm -hmm. and realizing what we're doing to our planet he said he was so depressed Mm -hmm. look i mean every country has its own stories like this but i remember you know finding out the other day because i somehow didn't know this but there's a population of lions in india a separate species from the ones that live in africa now they're restricted to a certain national park where it's very small in extent and ultimately of course if you put a species in that sort of range they'll become inbred they'll become genetically unfit over time because there just aren't enough individuals moving around we're doing that to so many species from so many frontiers and it's terrifying to think what the ramifications will be so i mean Mm. what i would also love to see more of and i know this is definitely happening in some places but the creation of environmental corridors enabling species to be able to get from one place to another through natural habitat that's just maintained that makes a lot of sense doesn't it yeah and you've got developers that want to take more and more land and cut more and more trees down and Mm -hmm. all that sort of thing it's all about money Exactly. Exactly yeah. right. You know, money, power, religion, whatever. Mm. All the wars we're having. Yep, I wish we could solve all the problems of the world. It'd be great, <laughs> wouldn't only. it? We could talk about it, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, that is fascinating. Now, the museum, before I let you go, mm-hmm. in Queensland, yes. it has quite a few? It has stacks of fossils. Um, I wow. would say at least probably 
uh, a dozen you know, really impressive fossil reptiles from around 95 to 98 million years ago on display. So we're talking big sauropod dinosaurs, carnivorous what, theropod full, dinosaurs, full body as much of the skeleton as we have available. Oh, they do have life-size bronze models of them as, as What about well. WA? Western Australia has a really impressive set of footprints and footprint oh, sites Broome. up in yeah. Broome, exactly. And the museum here in Perth, um, Bulabardip, also has a wonderful display of replicas of those um, mm. those fossil footprints and also has a wonderful statue of a sauropod dinosaur to give you a sense of just how big, big. these animals were that as well. That would have been terrifying if they were still walking today. Oh, the <laughs> thing is, they would have been quite peaceful plant eaters, so I'm pretty sure as long as you didn't <laughs> you know, annoy them, they probably would have been pretty as long okay as they didn't with your presence. <laughs> wouldn't roam the streets and go down into our backyards. Well, they might, if you have nice uh, nice conifers or something. Oh, yeah. just, it's just amazing. And no wonder, I mean, so many young people just love the whole thought about dinosaurs. And that was your ambition, it I was. suppose, when you were pretty young? Yeah, it was. And, I mean, in many ways, like, uh, it's, it's sort of funny to say this. I've been saying it to a few people recently. But in some ways, I'm almost a little bit finding dinosaurs a bit old hat. I mean, and it's kind of coinciding maybe with the 200th anniversary. They've been around of, a while. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 we, um, there was a 200th anniversary of the first one that was scientifically named recently. So was Meg- named? Megalosaurus was named back in 1824. Um and so, yeah, they've been around for 200 years. They've permeated public consciousness, but there are so many other fossil organisms, so so yeah. many other prehistoric animals and plants that there's maybe not as much awareness of. And it would be great to see everyone become a bit more paleontologically literate. And, um, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and especially paleoclimatologically illiterate as well, like understand Earth's climate change through time. Do we have a lot of students following this field? Um, well, I've got about 40 enrolled in the unit that I'm taking at the right. moment. And um, the, the, the group that I'm with, the Western Australian Organic and Isotope Geochemistry Centre, we're doing all sorts of research on, on fossils. And specifically, um, my boss, Professor Cleedy Grice, she's won an Australian Research Council laureate project to look into exceptional preservation in the fossil record. So the instances where you can get organic molecules preserved for hundreds of millions of years to, you know, augment greatly our understanding of past life unbelievable you've un- you're unlocking it for us all <laughs> you know we mere mortals really find it absolutely fascinating you know we're here for just a, that time aren't we that's it yeah. that's it it's that's very it. humbling looking at the fossil it's record yeah. <laughs> we're only a dot exactly a dot in time and space yeah, <laughs> yeah but, um, but a, uh, you know an impactful one nevertheless i hope so. you can keep us informed in the going into the future if you will mm-hmm. and uh, it's so interesting i'm sure people are enjoying it thank you so much for joining us today very much appreciated dr stephen parapat Thank you.